This episode of TGC's Word of the Week is sponsored by Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Midwestern's 81-hour residential Master of Divinity degree offers a complete foundation for a lifetime of fruitful ministry. For more information, visit mbts.edu mdiv. What's going on? Well, for now, there's all this buzz around Jesus because of the miracles and the way he carries himself with the religious authorities. But John is signaling that buzz does not equate to belief. This is TGC's Word of the Week, a sermon podcast from the Gospel Coalition. This week's sermon, The Difference Between Buzz and Belief, was preached by Cole Huffman at First Evangelical Church of Memphis, Tennessee, on May the 16th, 2017. The text is John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. Listen now to Cole Huffman on the difference between buzz and belief. Join me please again in John's Gospel, chapter 4. We're going to look at another sign. This is our series. We're looking at these miraculous doings of Jesus and There are seven of them, um, by most counts, in the first half of John's Gospel. We took the first sign last week, water turned to wine, and in John 4, we'll see that he counts off a second one. I want to pick up the text. I've got verse 43 up there on the screen, but I want to pick it up a little earlier. I was thinking about this this morning in verse 39 as I was looking back through this. I want us to see a contrast that John is careful to notice. If you're looking at John 4, look up at verse 39 to begin. This is coming off of the story of the woman at the well, very famous story, Jesus' interaction with her. She was a Samaritan. And it says in verse 39 that many Samaritans from her town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. That's actually crucial to understand in a context of miracles. And John is purposefully including this in his layout Look at the emphasis there on believed. Verse 39, many believed because of her testimony. Verse 41, many more believed because of his word. And then in verse 42, he's very well received in in Samaria. Verse 42, the believing continues. But in verse 43, John says uh, he's going to go back to Galilee, which is north of Samaria. That's where he's from. And the reception he'll get, verse 44, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown or his home region for that matter. And that's where Galilee is where his hometown was, his home region. So he's not going to be, we got a contrast, he's not going to be as well received in Galilee as he was in Samaria, at least on this occasion in Samaria. And yet, verse 45 says... Wonder of wonders, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Ah, because they saw all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the feasts, the way he handled the religious authorities, miracles he did. They too had gone to the feast. That's the end of verse 45. Now, what's going on? Well, for now, there's all this buzz around Jesus because of the miracles and the way he carries himself with the religious authorities. But John is signaling that buzz does not equate to belief. And so belief is the need. 
everywhere. It's the need in Samaria, it's the need in Galilee, it's the need in Judea, these these three regions of, of, of ancient Israel. Everywhere people need to believe through the message of the miracles because the miracles are communicating the gospel. So John, with all this in view, he sets us up for this story. He even uses the word so, verse 46, so he came again to Cana in Galilee where he'd made the water wine. And at Capernaum, which is also in Galilee, about 20 miles away, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea back to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down to Capernaum and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So he wants something from Jesus. But Jesus also wants something from him. And the way John tells the story, John wants us to see this. Verse 48, Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Here's Jesus criticizing the need for signs, as well as affirming why he does them, for belief. And so he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. How will this dad respond? Verse 49, the official said to him, now this is the second time, verse 47, he's already asked him to come. So for the second time, verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. You know what he's saying? I don't care about signs. I just want you to heal my son. I don't want to have a theological discussion with you. I just want you to do this for me because I believe you can. That's what he's saying. And look at what Jesus responds to that with. Verse 50, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down to Capernaum, his servants met him and told him his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, repeat of belief. He believed, verse 50, here it is in verse 33, he believed, and all his household. And this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he'd come from Judea to Galilee. We're going to count off seven of these in our series. This is number two. Now the other five wonders that we'll come to in the first half of John's narrative, they aren't going to be counted off like this. But the first two are. Note carefully as you're just beginning to gather this story in that the boy is recovering Jesus sends the fever away with a word from a distance, and yet the healing wasn't instantaneous as we think of it. One minute he's sick, near death, the next minute he's completely well, like there was never a fever. The boy is recovering, the man's staff says to him. So the man got what he wanted. Did Jesus get what he wanted out of this exchange? Because think back again up to verse 44. This is why I started with what prefaces this story. Because verse 44, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, his home region. How do you honor a prophet? How do you honor a prophet? You believe what he tells you. What was happening in Samaria? Verse 39, they're believing based on the testimony of of the woman. Verse 41, now they're believing based on his word to them. 
That's how you honor a prophet. Galilee, that region, Jesus said more than once probably. John's quoting in verse 44. He testified, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Jesus is now in Galilee. So what's he doing there? Signs and wonders. And he says in verse 48, unless you see these, you won't believe. This is where I'm from. You have to see, you have to see some, some distinction. And so he's doing these signs and wonders. And the purpose of them is to communicate the need for belief. That's the point of the miracles. Miracles are a, are a kind of sign language, if you want to think about them that way. In other words, they're directed at a kind of cultural deafness. They're directed at people who think they hear from God just fine. They're directed at people who think they listen to God and receive from him, but do they? Because when God in flesh is in the neighborhood preaching through these things that he's doing, they see the miracles, but do they believe what he's telling himself through them? What he's telling about himself through them? Let's go back to what this father says. Verse 47 He says, hey, come down, heal my son, come with me. This is a guy who's used to people doing what he tells him. He's an official. Jesus says, you know, unless I do signs and wonders, that's the way it's going to be. Unless I do signs and wonders, you won't believe. And the guy says in verse 49, I mean, really the sense of this is, I don't care about signs. I just want you to heal my son. And Jesus answered to him in verse 50, in effect says, good. Finally, somebody in Galilee who gets it. You get the difference between the buzz and belief. You're prepared to do what I tell you. And that's what I want from you. This guy gets it. I shared with you when we began the series last week, as a preface, as we were beginning to get our bearings in these sign events in John, I took you to chapter 20. At the very end of chapter 20, there's that place where John says, I had all these miracle stories to choose from. In fact, at the end of chapter 21 is where he embellishes it, you know, for a fact. He, 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 he says, uh, if we tried to write everything down that Jesus did, the whole world can contain the books, you know. I have all these miracle stories, he says at the end of his book. But he includes, he had to be selective. And he says, the ones that I chose, he says at the end of the book, the ones that I've chosen are so that you may believe, and in believing you may have life in his name. And so it's fascinating that of all the ones he had to choose from, he includes this one, and I think he includes this one for the benefit of his readers in particular. That's you and me down through the annals of time. Why? For us. Because like this father, get the story. This father has not eyewitnessed Jesus' signs and wonders. We accept the historicity of these stories based on the reliability of the eyewitnesses living at that time, But in this father with the sick boy, what do we have? We have our own situation historically downstream. (laughs) Meaning, he doesn't actually witness the wonder of his son's healing. He's not there to see it. Furthermore, he has to take Jesus at his word that it would happen. He has to believe what Jesus tells him and then act on it. Sight unseen. That's what it means to believe in the gospel. I think that's why John selects this story in particular of all the stories he could have selected. Very purposeful in his use of this. 
And so with this in mind, I want to give you two implications about believing in Jesus, which is what the gospel is about. The gospel is about belief that responds. John gives us this story in telling us in this story, he's telling us this, all these stories, miracle stories, tell the, the bigger story of the gospel because the gospel is about belief that responds. It's, it's more than an intellectual grasp of facts. It's a response that, that, that takes up residence in our being and affects our moving and doing and responding. That's what it means to believe the gospel. And so I want to show you two things in this story. The first thing I'll show you is that belief in Jesus trusts in advance for what will make sense in reverse. We'll talk through that, what that means. And then secondly, belief in Jesus finds a greater outcome than just objective met. The objective is met. The boy gets well, but the greater outcome is the household believes. And so we'll look at two things. We'll look at that. Belief in Jesus finds a greater outcome than just objective met. And we'll look at... Belief in Jesus trusts in advance for what will make sense in reverse. That's our two points. So this first one. Belief in Jesus trusts in advance for what will make sense in reverse. I get this way of putting it from Philip Yancey, a column he wrote years ago, in which he was making observations about a kind of short-sightedness that is ours when our grid for life is consumeristic. He said it makes us short-sighted and, and, and that our consumerism is so deep that we even apply it to relationships. We're consumeristic. This relationship isn't working for me. I'll just change it out, no matter what kind of relationship it is. And that we even do that in relating to God, perhaps especially in relating to God, that if, if God is performing to our satisfaction, we worship him. If he doesn't, why bother? And Yancey said the only way to really combat that in ourselves when it's there is to take a longer view and realize that in Christ, every scar, every hurt, every disappointment of ours will eventually be seen in a different light if we stay with Jesus to the very end. And the way he put that was, faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. When you look back at where you've, where you've progressed from. Seth, that's where our, our father in this story was quite literally, right? He's having to advance his trust. It doesn't make sense. I'm asking you to come with me. You won't come with me? You just say this? It doesn't make sense. But he does it. You've got place names here. Cana, Capernaum. I mentioned they're about 20 miles apart. We saw that the, the, the dad here, he's, a, he's a, a Capernaum official, verse 46 says. He's probably a Herod appointee, meaning he's a local official. He's not a Roman official, in all likelihood. And in all likelihood, he likely walked the 20 miles to ask Jesus to come back home with him and heal his son, only to hear Jesus say again to a guy who's used to people doing what he asks, I'm not going. You go. That's what he says to him, verse 50, go. You go back the 20 miles, you just came to me, and you'll find him well. This story inverts the old axiom that seeing is believing. Here is, is when believing is seeing. And time is passing on a sick boy here. It takes time to make a 20-mile trek, presumably on foot. 
it takes more time to then trudge back the same way. And this is time this father may not really have. He's away. The boy might be dead by this point for all he knows on the way to Jesus. Might be dead on the way back if Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. Somewhere in the vicinity of Capernaum, you can picture it, this man's staff has rushed down the road. They're, they're hoping to find him. They do. You're not going to believe what's happened. Your son is recovering. And he says, well, what time? What time did the fever break? A little after lunch, they say. That's the seventh hour in their reckoning of time. He says, that's exactly the time. I was talking to Jesus. That's exactly the hour he sent me back here. When believing is seeing, what does this official, this official's a man in charge. What does this official see? For one thing, he sees that Jesus is way more in charge of things than he's ever been, down to even the molecular structure of a boy he'd never met. He also sees that taking Jesus at his word was worthwhile. But you know, the hardest step for this father had to be when Jesus told him to go back home, go all that way alone with only my word with you. And he does it. He had to trust in advance that would make sense in reverse. When he plays the situation again, that it will make sense if he believes Jesus. That's where he is. The gospel works this way. I may have mentioned to you one of my favorite movies is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Love that film. He has to go find in the film this intrepid photographer who works for his magazine and goes all around the world and Walter discovers he's on assignment in Greenland and, and he goes there uh, uh, only to discover that the guy's not there. He's on a ship that was ported there and the ship is now heading for Iceland and the only way Walter Mitty can get to that ship with any haste is to catch a ride with a drunk helicopter pilot who's going to fly some radio parts out to the ship. And it's in, this, in the scene, it's, it's, it's played up as comedy. I mean, he knows he can't do this. This is crazy. He can't go with this guy. But then he imagines the girl he's in love with back home. If you've seen the movie, you remember this. There's, there, he's in a bar where he met this pilot. And there's this karaoke stage. And suddenly he imagines the girl he's in love with back home. She walks out on the stage and she starts singing David Bowie's old song, Ground Control to Major Tom. <laughs> which is a song that's actually about facing your fears and taking courage. The lyrics, now it's time to leave the capsule if you dare. This is Major Tom to ground control. I'm stepping through the door and I'm floating in a most peculiar way. And the stars look very different today. For here I am sitting in a tin can far above the world. Planet Earth is blue. There's nothing I can do. We see Walter Mitty get up from the table, move to the exit. That's the hardest step. But once he's there, he's running for this helicopter. He's clutching his briefcase to his chest. And we see that right as the helicopter is lifting off the ground, Walter leaps in. And you can see on his face, he can't believe he's doing this, but he is. There's nothing else he could do. He had to act. He had to go. Go. And your son will live. 
Belief in Jesus will require at times we face our fears, we find courage, and we trust in advance. We advance our trust that following his lead, taking him at his word, believing him will make sense in reverse. That in the ultimate consideration of life, it will prove worth it to believe on him in this world and and tailor my life to fit his design for it, even if and when I don't get things from him that I ask him for. The question this story is confronting us with is, what if he doesn't get what he wants from me? You may be today in a situation like this father in our text. I don't care about signs. I just, I just want you to heal my son. And would to God that all sons and daughters in need of healing get it. We'd like God to heal everybody. We would. I don't think we'd say if he doesn't heal everybody, he's not allowed to heal anybody. This man wants something from God and he gets it. But God also wants something from this person who is standing in here for us all. And this is the angle at which John is giving us this encounter. Jesus wants something from this guy who wants something from him. Jesus wants people to take him at his word. It's what believing the gospel requires. It it requires it from us not only at the start, but all the way through. But what we're confronted with in this story is the hardest step to make, which is not going out the door and up the road to find Jesus, to ask things of him. I mean, we do that all the time. It's It's practically considered a constitutional right by most Americans to ask God for whatever we want from him whenever we want it. God is the national mascot in that way. The harder step is when he sends us forth with nothing more than his word to go on. Go, he says. Take me at my word. Follow through on what I tell you. That's hard because that will sometimes put me out of step with the world around me. That will put me out of sorts with even my own desires. To take him at his word in a fallen world creates all kinds of tensions and struggles for us. But that's the kind of belief that Jesus wants from people. Belief that will advance my trust in Him. This son is restored to health. But you know, when you take a wider lens view of this, looking ahead in the Gospel of John, Jesus is a son too, isn't He not? The Son of God is talking to this father, telling him, go back to Capernaum, find your boy recovering. Well, this son is eventually going to go from there back down to Judea, to Jerusalem, where there he would die. Why would he die? Because of that official. Because of that official's son and that official's household and those servants and and everybody in Capernaum and Cana and everywhere else people live and move and have their being. Down to the present time to you and me. And after six hours of suffering on a dark Friday, still ahead of him, where we're reading in John 4, by the seventh hour in that story, the Son of God is dead. He's not recovered. He's drained of life by our sin and our unbelief. But doesn't it make sense now? That self-sacrifice didn't make any sense then in the moment. But doesn't it make sense now in reverse? When you come to believe the gospel. 
This takes us to that other implication I mentioned, that belief in Jesus finds a greater outcome than just objective met. In this story, the household believes. The son is restored to health, objective met, but there's a greater outcome. The household believes. That's greater because they're all going to die eventually. The son is going to die. The father, the household, all of them. And what then? If, if life becomes about having more life, if more life is all you're living for, life eventually runs out on you. The hourglass was overturned on us all the day of our birth. Life expectancy is increasing within our, our cultural, uh, with our technology and such and our, our healthy habits Life expectancies are increasing, but the sands still run out on us all. You know what the seventh sign event that we come to in John's gospel is uh, his raising from the dead, Bethany's favorite son, a guy who was a close friend of Jesus named Lazarus, but Lazarus would die again. And so the point of the miracle was not for its own sake. It was not for you to go buzzing off. It was to confront you with whether you believe in the one who's doing these things. Every one of these signs communicates the gospel story. They're not standalones, but they're means to the end of belief. As he says it at the end of chapter 20, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe... You may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in His name. You know what that says? Belief is the objective, but life in His name is the greater outcome. Belief is the objective, but life in His name is the greater outcome. Why? Because life in His name is believing. It's not this one point in time I believed, I walked down an aisle, I prayed a prayer with a guy, and then I started figuring it out on my own from there. I got my fire insurance. Belief is the objective. But life in His name is the greater outcome. Because life in His name seeks the advance of my trust. Life in His name stays in earshot of the gospel. Why? Because I realize, prone to wander, Lord, as the old hymn puts it. Lord, I feel it. Life in His name is finding out how even our scars and our disappointments and our hurts can and will from an eternal vantage point make a kind of sense in reverse. It's it's precisely why, if you like Tolkien, why he had uh, Sam say to Gandalf in that story, will everything eventually, all the sad things become untrue? And Gandalf says, yeah, when the shadow lifts, that's exactly what's going to happen. Life in Jesus' name is believing And believing and believing again and again and again because to bear His name, I come to a bedrock foundational place in living that to bear His name, even if it causes me trouble and pain and frustrations, to bear His name is greater, a greater life outcome than living under my own name only. And I just mentioned this in passing when we're reading it, but I want to emphasize it here at the end. Did you notice in our story how John repeats the dad's belief. Does that pop? Does that stand out to you? He says in verse 50, go and your son will live. The man believed the word of Jesus and and went on his way. Verse 53, 
That's the hour when Jesus said to me, your son will live. And he himself believed. What's John trying to communicate? This is the point. This is the point. This guy got it. I love the twiceness. That's not a word, but we'll go with it. He believed and he believed again. What does that do? It advances trust. For what will only make sense in reverse. There's a multiplicity of times when you live and walk in a fallen world where it's not going to make sense. You're going to wonder, is it worth it? When you're left out, when you're the one who isn't doing what everybody else seems to be doing, and, and your reason is because I don't think that honors Christ. I don't think that's... You're not trying to be a legalist. You're not trying to be rigid. You're saying, I don't think that honors the Lord who loves me, gave himself for me, and you're the one left out. You're going to go, is that worth it? You have to advance your trust. You believe, and you believing again and again. This guy did. Advancing trust, greater outcome. That's what God wants from we who want so much from Him. But He wants something too. Nothing less than all of us. All the time. Would you stand with me? And Brian, we're going to sing a song here to conclude. So you come up with the group. Let me pray and then we'll sing this one song together. And I wish you a happy rest of the Mom's day here. Father, we thank you for this day as you've given it to us. We thank you that you walk with us in all situations and circumstances. Thank you that you're near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. Lord, a lot of us see ourselves in this dad today. We have needs. We've brought them to you. We don't think you've done anything about them. Lord, help those of us who are there in those places to keep advancing our trust. And to see life as not our own, but your gift to us and that you are in charge of the way we live it and that we would live it in a way that looks to you again and again and again, that continues believing, that doesn't just launch from some point back there. It's a sense in which, Lord, belief is perpetually present tense. And this story confronts us with that reality. Do we render to you what you want from us? Lord, help us to understand and take these things that we've heard today, put them into practice in an advancing trust that continues believing, looking for the greater outcome, not just the objective met. You give more, not just belief, but life in your name. Thank you that we can look in these miracles and see what you would have for us. And we only want to see that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to TGC's Word of the Week. Check back next week for another gospel-centered sermon. We also invite you to visit the resources section of our website, thegospelcoalition.org, to find thousands of sermons to help you understand and apply God's Word.